It's wonderful to be with you today as we continue our unlikely Advent sermon series. It's, today we're talking about the unlikely witnesses of the shepherds. And before we jump into the shepherds, I'd like to share with you a couple public service announcements. Each week we announce that if you are a first-time visitor, we have a free gift for you at the Information Center. Today, if you are here in person and have a heartbeat, we have a free gift for you at the Information Center, and that is our annual Concord Christmas ornament. It's a favorite. You have to make sure you get each year's version of the ornament this year's I like especially well. So go out there, grab your ornament, check it out. Next, I want to let you know that this year, something very special happens on December 24th. It's Christmas Eve. But December 24th is a Sunday. So you have all kinds of opportunities to come to worship on that day. And if you are not able to worship on that day, it will be because you are sick or out of town. There will be worship services at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m., and 11 p.m. We'll be in here in the sanctuary at 9 a.m., 8 p.m., and 11 p.m. We'll be in our worship center at 11 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. All those services will have candlelight and communion. All, and I also want you to know that it is fun. you are permitted to come to more than one service because you'd like to hear the music and maybe you'd like to hear the preaching. All the sermons in this room will be the same sermon. All the sermons in that room will be the same sermon. Pastor Brooke will be preaching in this room. I will be preaching in that room. Now you can come to more than one service in the same room if you'd like. Because we like to think our sermons age like a fine wine. They, they get better as you hear them more. Mike and Sabina can have to do this every week and they can tell you it, it only gets better. Uh, not that I would know much about wine, but people tell me about that. So uh, we, we want to prepare you for, for the Christmas season. And as we prepare, let's consider what God has to say to us today through the story of the shepherds. They they were unlikely. And many of us think of ourselves as unlikely for certain purposes. And then we think of ourselves as likely for, for others. Uh, we, God creates us all with, with different gifts. Uh, some of us, God gives a, a face that seemingly was made for the bright lights of television. And some of us have a face that was made for radio. Uh, so, so, yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Some of us, God gives a voice that was just meant to stand at the altar and sing O Holy Night on Christmas Eve. And for some of us, God gives us a voice that was meant to be used with the in-home karaoke machine to embarrass our kids as we sing favorites like Brown-Eyed Girl, Sweet Caroline, and of course, that great song by that young man with the dark hair from Memphis, Can't Help Falling in Love. I don't know who that would be referring to who sings those in front of their, their children. But we, we have these different gifts. Uh, for some of us, Bible study comes very easily. And some of us still think Hebrews is in the Old Testament. Uh, that's funny too. Some of you just don't know it. Um, <laughs> for some of us, prayer comes easy. And for some of us, being still and waiting upon God to speak in that still small voice is, is very difficult. Uh, some of us think of ourselves as very religious people, and some of us think of ourselves as not religious at all. And yet, when it comes to serving God, 
when it comes to experiencing God, the amazing thing is God doesn't just come to the religious elite. When it comes to serving God, truly the greatest ability is availability. Uh, however you are wired, if you are open to God, if you are ready to serve God when God calls, if you are willing to listen for God's voice and God's presence in whatever forms they may present themselves in your life, God will come. And sometimes God will come to unlikely people in unmistakable ways. So I want to challenge you in your own way. How can you make yourself available to God? One of the ways we encourage you to do so is with the Bible reading plan. We've picked out scriptures that go along with this story of the shepherds for this week and which will prepare you for Christmas Eve and for Christmas. We encourage you to go to that at concordunited.org Bible or to pick up a Bible reading plan at the information center when you go to get your lovely ornament. You can grab one of those as well. Online, you can also find a daily devotional that will arrive in your inbox about four in the morning in case you're an early riser and help you begin your day on the, the right foot. We uh, want now to turn to what the scriptures tell us about the shepherds. This story is contained in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is concerned with the least, the last, and the lost. During Lent this year, we'll be going through uh, the Gospel of Luke in, in great detail, and you'll see Luke's concern to make sure that the story of those uh, that often is not told gets told and how God encounters them. And what we find when you tell the story of those whose story is often is not told is that it's just as important as the stories of the famous people whose stories get told more. So let's hear this story of the shepherds uh, picking up from Luke chapter 2 verse 8. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they'd made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now let's, let's consider uh, the story of the shepherds that we just read. The shepherds weren't people who had a great place in the ancient society. They were necessary people. Uh, they were people who were needed to make the economic wills of ancient Israel turn, but they weren't people uh, who were on their way 
to a wonderful uh, family life. In many cases, shepherds were men who did not have enough money and did not come from a good enough family name to be considered marriage material uh, by uh, the young women in the community and their families in a community where most marriages were arranged. Often they were people who by way of their profession were considered unclean and therefore could not often enter the temple or places of worship. Being a shepherd was not what you grew up hoping for your son, but they were necessary. And we find famous shepherds. King David was a shepherd. Jesus, in fact, describes himself as a shepherd. Yet, in Jesus' time, the shepherds were working class people struggling through a life that wasn't working out well. Maybe today you're struggling through a life that seems like it's not working out well. Uh, some of us have been there. Some of us know what it is to worry about making ends meet, to wonder if this paycheck will last till the next paycheck, and wonder when it doesn't what we're going to do next, to wonder what's going to happen uh, when the medical bill comes in, when the car breaks down, when rent goes up. This was the life of, of the shepherds. And amazingly, God is just as concerned about working class people whose life isn't working out well, as God is concerned about the kings and the queens in the palaces. And God takes working class people whose life isn't working out well and uses them for amazing purposes, uses them uh, to do things uh, that help tell a story that will inspire people for years and years to come. This didn't just happen with the shepherds. It happens with another Christmas story with which you're familiar. I, like the story of the shepherds, a controversial Christmas story. You know the one I'm talking about. It's of that reindeer with the red nose named Rudolph. Now, you might not think of Rudolph as controversial. And if you don't, it's because you didn't grow up in the same church I grew up in. Uh, growing up in church, I remember one year we had a children's Christmas program, one of those Wednesday night things. Put the kids on stage, let them sing, everybody smiles. And that year, the children's director, as well as having them sing Joy to the World, allowed them to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And there was those in that congregation who thought singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on church property was sacrilegious because that was a secular song and it had no place within the walls of the church. So much so that at the next church council meeting, Rudolph was on the agenda of the church council. And so to help you uh, understand what they were so upset about, we're not going to sing this as an act of worship, just as a sermon illustration. I, I just want you to, to know what we sang and uh, maybe join in. Uh, and in case you're one of those people from that church long ago, I hope you enjoy this. Here we go. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you would even say it blows. All of the other reindeer used to have to call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer. 
you. Thank you. E excellent job, everybody. Th thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have a church do what I've wanted to since that day when I was eight years old and told I was sacrilegious. But more than that, I want you to know the story behind that song, Rudolph. Well, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a story that was written in, in 1939 by a man named Bob May. Bob May was in the advertising department of Montgomery Ward in Chicago. And they wanted a Christmas book that they could share with the children who came to the store to have their picture made with Santa. Uh, Bob began working on this story. And while he was working on the story, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And Christmas was coming and he continued to work on this, the story and he realized that it was going to be a very bad Christmas for his family. He had a four-year-old daughter named Barbara and her mother uh, was on her deathbed in the hospital and was not going to recover. And as an advertiser and a copywriter, he didn't make much. Times were hard and especially with the medical bills, he was not going to be able to provide an extravagant Christmas for his four-year-old daughter. In fact, he wasn't going to be able to provide much of a Christmas at all. His boss saw the strain that Bob was under and said, Bob, let, let's give this project to somebody else. You have enough on your plate. And Bob said, no, I'm sharing the story as I'm creating it every night with my daughter, Barbara. And it seems to be helping her. She seems to be enjoying it. It's giving her something to look forward to each day. And it's not done and it's not perfect yet. But I'd like to stay on the project. Well, Bob stayed on the project and eventually finished the story. It was published. And every year, every child who, after that, every child who walked into Montgomery Ward to have their picture made with Santa got a copy of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And as, as they did, the story began to spread throughout the country. And people uh, came, became in love with the story, uh, but life was still hard for Bob. He was now raising a daughter on his own. And as a copywriter, he didn't make any money aside from his regular salary and whatever bonus they paid for this special project uh, for the story of Rudolph. And he was trying somehow to, to make ends meet, even as God was using the story that he told uh, to go far and wide. Just like God used working class shepherds uh, who were struggling with life to tell the story of Christ, the greatest story ever. Uh, God used this man to tell a story uh, that has given joy to, to so many people. And God can use you to tell a story, uh, in fact, to tell that great story of Jesus, uh, wherever you are, whoever you are. But there are some things uh, that the shepherds did, some things that they had to do in order to tell the story. Uh, you see, when the angels encountered the shepherds, they told them what had happened. And if you've ever been encountered by God in a vision, in a dream, you know that the first question you ask when, it, uh, when it's over is, was that real? Was that real? Did I imagine that? Did, did we all imagine that? 
I've had times where I have been praying for something specific with a group of people who are praying for a specific thing and we have all on the same evening had an experience of feeling that God was leading us in a particular direction and we have shared that with one another and then a week later, what do we ask? Do you think it was real? Do you, do you think that was real? Well, the shepherds had a decision to make. They could go see if it was real or they could stay with their sheep now in those days shepherds didn't own the sheep that they shepherded uh, that's a distinction with king david when we call him a shepherd his dad jesse owned those sheep uh, he was from a middle class farming family not so with these shepherds these shepherds were hired hands uh, farming and taking care of other people's property and other people's sheep and to leave the sheep in the fields while they went to see this child that the angels had made known to them meant that they were risking their livelihoods. They put their, their whole livelihood at risk in order to go. Friends, there's no way to follow Christ without taking a great risk. There's no way to follow someone who says, take up your cross without taking a risk. There's no way to follow someone who says, love your enemy. There's no way to follow some, someone who says uh, that I am the way, the truth, and the life without taking risks, uh, without making adjustments to our plans as, as we had them. And the shepherds had to do this. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the story of Rudolph involves a, a great risk as well. You see, after Rudolph became so well known and after World War II came to a close the CEO of Montgomery Ward named Sewell Avery made a decision and we don't know for sure if he made a decision out of the kindness and the goodness of his heart towards Bob May who at that point was still struggling to pay his rent and raise a now uh, a teenage daughter or if he made it because he just didn't understand the lasting value of the story of Rudolph. But he gave the rights to Rudolph back to Bob May. He gave them back. Rights that would become worth millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. He, get, he gave those back. What company in a capitalistic society in their right mind gives back valuable intellectual property to someone to whom they don't know it what a risk what a risk but he did so he did so and by doing so uh, he made a difference in the life of a family when we are willing to take these risks of giving up our plans how we thought things should work out of engaging in extravagant generosity of telling the story of Christ and how Christ has been at work in our lives even when we're nervous to do so when we do those things amazing things maybe we should better say miraculous things tend to take place and here's what we know about what it takes to do that for the shepherds and for us, making Christ known requires giving up your throne. The shepherds didn't have much of a throne, but they were kings of the pasture, and that was where they had authority, and they had to leave it.
They had to give up the, pl- the one place where they had authority and they had, they had to go. That, that's the case for all of us. It means giving up your throne, how you think things should work out for how Jesus thinks things should work out. When I teach our confirmation class, we talk about the fact that the most fundamental statement in early Christianity is Jesus is Lord. If you had to sum up the entire Christian belief in three words, you could find no better way to do so than those three words. And if you're hoping that I'm going to limit myself to just three words today, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm just saying if you ever wanted to, Jesus is Lord. And then I will ask our sixth graders, I will say, what does the word Lord mean to you? And they have a religious connotation, of course. But if you go back in the history of the word Lord, Lord was the landowner. And the only way in which, and in fact, in feudal days, the Lord who owned the land also had his own army. And the only way in which that connotation of the word carries over today is in the word landlord, right? The one who owns the property and to whom you pay rent. When we say Jesus is Lord, we say Jesus, we're saying Jesus owns the earth and we're saying our lives are not our own. We're saying that our lives have been bought at a price by Jesus and our lives are designated for service and for worship of Jesus. And so we recognize we have to give up the throne. And so I will ask the sixth graders, I will say, what, what does this mean to you? And inevitably, they'll turn the question around on me. My response is, it means that if Jesus and I disagree, Jesus should get his way. And many times Jesus and I disagree. Uh, and it's never worked out poorly for me when I've gave, given Jesus his way in those circumstances. It's worked out quite poorly when I've decided that I just wasn't willing and that I knew better. Now, you shouldn't at this point in the message be surprised to learn that this also has a parallel in the story of Rudolph. Bob May had the rights to a book that was given away for free. Those rights are only so valuable. But he happened to have a brother-in-law who was a songwriter who put the story of Rudolph into the lyrics that we just sang. And along the way, uh, the story of Rudolph was passed into the hands of one singer named Gene Autry. Gene Autry read the lyrics and he thought that it was, he was preparing, in fact, a Christmas album for that year, but he thought it was too silly of a song. Now remember, he made much of his money on a song named Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) But apparently, singing about an animated, uh, personified snowman wasn't was much more dignified uh, than a reindeer with a red nose. And he turned it down. He said, no dice. Well, he brought some of his papers home and his wife was going through them. And she read the song and she said, oh, Gene, you have to do this song. You have to do this one. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. And she said, no, you have to do it. Now, he was the great Gene Autry. He should have been master of his own domain, but he had to give up his throne. And I don't know if he gave it up because he thought she was right or if he just wanted peace in his household, but he gave it up. 
He said, I'll record it. And he recorded it on an old 45. And it was the fourth song on that 45. Do you know how many times the fourth song on a 45 gets played? Do you know what a 45 is? Google it. It's interesting. It won't fit in your car. But he buried it on that album and it was destined to be buried until he was supposed to play during the intermission of a rodeo. And what do you play for the type of people who go to a rodeo? You play something about the type of animal that they like to hunt. So you play Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And they loved it. And it spread like wildfire. And the lyrics to that song became worth millions upon millions of dollars. Just like the shepherds, just like Gene Autry, if you're going to make Christ known in your life, the only way to do that is to give up your throne. There's not room for two people on the same throne. There's room for one, and it's you or Jesus. And that's the question we all have to find ourselves in. And sometimes this requires us stepping out because remember what the shepherds did. Now, I imagine many of these shepherds were not the type of people who would say, hand me the mic. I want to speak in church. I want to go talk about my beliefs and my religion publicly. I've known many people uh, who... uh, They are the salt of the earth. They'll give you the shirt off their back. They'll do anything you ask them to do. Just don't make me speak. But what do these shepherds do? They go home praising God and telling everyone, telling people much far above their social classes about Jesus. Because here's the thing, the social classes that we have, the hierarchy within our earthly society, it doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. And when you get to know people, many of you probably have known a famous person or two. When you get to know them, you know what you find out about famous people? They're people. They're just people uh, like like you and me who've had an interesting experience of life and have found themselves probably in an avenue of life that they didn't think eventually that they would be in. Well, for us, there are times when uh, we might be hesitant to share our faith. We might wonder, is it appropriate to say what God has done for me? What will this person say if I invite them to church or invite them to a Christmas Eve service at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m., or 11 p.m.? What, what will they say? What will they do? It's time to give up the throne. It's time to, to share the story. Uh, if Christ has encountered your life, there's no more powerful story than anyone has to share. No more powerful story that I have to share uh, or anyone who could ever come to this pulpit than the story you have to share. And the story you have to share might be the one story that could touch someone because they might not be able to relate to someone like me who's been to seminary and who walks around in this robe and often trips over it. But they might be able to relate to someone like you and your story. John Wesley, the great preacher and founder of Methodism, who perhaps did more than than anyone to help overcome the divisions of rich and poor in 1700s England and to spread the gospel like wildfire throughout England and America. John Wesley, when he had his experience of God's grace, he realized that he couldn't 
just keep telling the story indoors to those who'd show up on Sunday morning because many people didn't feel welcome. So he began going to the countrysides and the coal mines and the marketplaces. And he wrote in his journal because he grew up thinking that was an abomination, sort of like singing Rudolph in church. Uh, But he wrote in his journal, I determined to be more vile. Now, we wouldn't use the term vile in, in today's language. I just like it. That's, that's a neat term. Uh, but he said, determined to be more vile, more undignified, that I wouldn't care what they thought of me or if they laughed at me. I'd just be honest about who God was and what God has done for me. Friends, my prayer for all of us today is that like those shepherds long ago, in our own imperfect ways, this Christmas, we can make ourselves available to God and he may encounter you in a deep moment of prayer uh, or he may encounter you as you're driving along the road. Uh, I don't know where he'll encounter you. He encountered these men in a pasture, uh, but I believe he will. And my prayer is that we would respond the same way by not worrying about whether it was dignified or respectful, uh, but by responding to that miraculous presence by saying, God, I'll do anything I can with my life to tell this story because I want you on that throne. Let's pray. Gracious God, ascend to the throne of our hearts. We abdicate our throne for you today that you might take your rightful place as our Lord, as King, as our Savior and our Redeemer, the one and the true, the only begotten Son of God. We ask that you might use our lives, our actions and our attitudes, our words and our behaviors to tell the great story of your love in this life that we might live it out in your eternal kingdom forever. We pray this in your name and for your sake. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.